0: Dave Pryor, welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Howard Sublet is here. Howard, thank you for making time for this.
1: Oh my goodness, Dave! Anything to have a little bit of time with you. If we can't be in person, this is close enough for me.
0: Yes, this is this is this will be fun. So, and Howard is between some very exciting journeys. Maybe actually, maybe you can introduce yourself and then tell
1: them where you just were and then where you're
0: getting ready to go.
1: Wow, so and a little you backstory. Know, Wow. 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 Well, honestly, the truth of it is I have no idea where I'm going and I think that's the most fun, right? I, and I don't really care. Um, uh, so I've spent much of my career helping to build agile coaching and training companies. Uh, and, and I started many years ago, like 2006 or seven, 2007, eight and nine at scrum alliances operations director, went off to do some coaching over in Eastern Europe for three months and and really learned and and got a good glimpse. I don't. i not. I would not consider myself an agile coach, but learned what is really, um, what's important in the world of agile coaching. Uh, came back and helped build some coaching and consulting companies uh, that ultimately were sold to Accenture and Full Circle. I joined the board of directors back at. Uh, scrum alliance in 2017 and then became the ceo at scrum alliance 2018 september of 2018 and then the end of 2021 i guess it was gosh if you're like me dave all of these years and dates are blurred (laughs) because of covid
0: especially since the pandemic it's like one really long month
1: everything is everything is blurred um Decided that I needed a break and just retired from my role. And I've spent a year hiking, journaling, reading dozens and dozens of books. I've got a few clients that I do a little bit of piecemeal work for to try to help them because it's ultimately for me, I still invested in advancing the, the, the agile movement. Um, I want to keep my foot in that door. But man, I'm enjoying prioritizing uh, life and living rather than working. And so I don't really know where this journey is going to take me, but I'm, I'm enjoying it for sure. I don't don't care as much about the destination, but I care about the journey. All right, cool. Thank you. Um, and I forgot about
0: the beginning stuff of the Scrum line, so that was one of my favorite things. Was there's one of my favorite stories to tell about you? Is I was in Kuala Lumpur and the system was down, and I couldn't submit my students, and it was like two o'clock in the afternoon there. I don't even know what time it was here. And I sent a message and you, you immediately responded and fixed the problem. <laughs> and I was like, this place is the coolest thing ever. And I just, that was really a great thing.
1: Oh, little did you know, Dave, oh, little did you know,
0: <laughs> but what we're going to talk about is not the past. We're going to talk about the future. So, um, This is something that has been, you know, I've been in a lot of conversations recently, like where are things going? Because everything's upside down. I mean, it was bad enough when the pandemic started. Um, I mean, that threw everything into upheaval. Um, but now with all the layoffs and all the other stuff going on, and I keep hearing stories about companies getting rid of the job of scrum master and replacing it with this impossible idea of an unfulfillable project management role. Um, where do you think things are going? I mean, it's like, are we in like the the last episode? Is this if, if Agile is
1: happy days? Is this when Cush and Roger has joined, <laughs> or is this the uh, Fonzie jump the shark moment? We're not sure just what? quite yet. Yeah, it it could be, it could be. I don't know. There's uh, a lot of the layoffs and stuff. Seem like it's not connected to an Agile movement. It seems like those are just. Uh, fast followers. Um, they're not really okay.
0: it's an excuse now. It's people just an excuse.
1: They're offended. they're cutting costs, so we should cut cost. It's uh it it changes their PL balance to where they can compete on a what they perceive as a as a level playing field. And I'm gonna tell you that cutting large numbers of people to change your your PL statement is a is a terrible way to proceed as a leader. Uh, that should be your absolute last last thing to yeah. do. So I don't know that that's connected to the agile movement, but it sure shakes everything up because most of those companies were software first companies. And those were companies mm-hmm. that were using uh, agile as, as predominantly a way to deliver value to their customers. Um, so yeah, it, it does feel like unsettled times. Like we're in that, those episodes of the last of us, which is currently my favorite show on TV right now is trying to figure out what's what's what are they what are they going to accomplish and how are they going to get out of this um you and i both have watched agile transformation start up and fail start up and fail mm-hmm. um fleets and fleets of agile coaches getting walked off because they can't seem to put a finger on exactly what value that they're delivering Companies that I don't know how many clients that I've dealt with over the years that the word agile or the word scrum cannot be spoken again because they tried it and it didn't work. They're
0: they're nimble now.
1: Yeah. There's something else. They they want the same attributes, but they tried it this one time really poorly. And now that word can't be used. Right. Yep. And large organizations moving to uh, scaled agile as a framework. And now they're trying to figure out what's next beyond that. Cause maybe it's not delivering exactly what they were looking for, or it's a little bit more cumbersome. I, I do think that the agile movements in kind of a precarious time. I told you earlier, it's one of those things I still wake up about. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily vested as a CEO in the agile industry, but I still invested in my heart over how I believe that this can change the way people work and change the way value is delivered. Um, It does give me pause uh, when I look at the number of transformations that fail and the number of companies that have spent hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars a year on transformation services. And yet they, they can't really put a finger on how much better that they're doing That's the. Well, do you think that's because
0: they're 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 waving dollars at curing symptoms instead of getting to the fundamental problem?
1: I think it's a lot of different pieces of it. Again, I I I don't think I have a, a clear answer. There's, um, number one, it's the it's the same syndrome we talked about with companies also doing layoffs. Many companies decided, I want this agile thing because the other companies are getting it, so we better buy some too. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool thing, it. right? It's a yeah. that's what the cool kids are doing. So we should buy some of it. Google search, hey, you sell that? I should buy it. They're they're trying to buy a thing, which um, you know, agile isn't isn't the destination. That shouldn't be the goal, right? But right. so I think there's a lot of those happening where companies are trying to buy a thing when it's really not a thing. Uh, they're mm-hmm. hiring and engaging with people that actually aren't capable of delivering what they have, and they actually don't validate what is the actual organization's goal to where that they can map their actions to those goals and show the value, show incremental and iterative progress towards those goals.
0: All right. So hold on for one second, because I want to, what you just said, I want to like highlight that and make sure people heard what you said. Okay. There's people going in there who are saying they're going to help them change who aren't skilled or qualified to be able to do that many times. And they're going into places that don't even know what they want in the first place. And so they're asking somebody, it's like, it's like, I don't really want food, but I'm going to hire someone who can't cook so they can make me food. Right. And it's going to taste crappy. And then I'm going to say, Oh, food doesn't work.
1: You know, in, in another way to look at it, like, as you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time now working. We, we had a personal call recently, but just I, I spent a lot of my time building with Habitat for Humanity, mm-hmm. and yet I'm not a home builder, right? Um, but like when things like Hurricane Katrina happened um, many years ago, lots of really well-meaning people flocked to help. But there were also opportunists that were like, holy crap, there's money to be made there. So yeah, the like the people that come around after the tornado to do your roof. That's right. So there's local people there that understand local ordinance, local they understand when you build a house what the foundations need to be and all those other things, right? I'm again, I'm not a builder. So there are there are people that want to help that have well meaning and then there are people that are opportunistic because they think that there's money to be made. So mm-hmm. this boom in every company having an agile division of services that they can offer these things um, I don't know that they're really well equipped for it, and I there are quite a few well-meaning people that I, I believe that that really want to help, but yet they actually don't have the business acumen background to actually help a company navigate really complex organizational constraints and issues.
0: Okay, so I want to so one of the things that the first conversations I had with our mutual friend Jim Cundiff, when I met him. I was coming out of PMI background, right? I was there as a, at the first scrum gathering I went to, I was there as a representative of the ITT SIG. And I said to Jim, I can completely understand how I would explain the value of Agile to a project manager, but how would I explain the value of project management to an Agilist? And he said, they don't know how to go upstairs. And what he meant was that a lot of the people in the Agile community were well-intentioned and really smart and brilliant people but when you put them in a room full of waterfall executives, the floor collapses. Ah,
1: And are we, have we not solved that problem yet? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I don't think so because, I mean, truthfully, if if agile coaches, I mean, and that's really what are, are the biggest drivers of organizational transformations, right? Our agilists, agile mm-hmm. coaches, agile trainers, agile consultants, whatever you want to call them. Um, we'll, we'll put them under the bucket of agile coaching, but I know that there's a difference in coaching and consulting. But I'm going to call them all one bucket. Okay, those are the ones that most companies hire. Whether they hire an Accenture or a McKinsey, or they hire a independent, um, the the people that are going to show up are, are predominantly agile coaches, agile consultants, and many of them don't have that business acumen to to be able like. If they were really delivering exponential value, if mm-hmm. if coaching at this much day rate, whatever that day rate is and whatever part of the world that you're on, if you are billing them X day rate, you should be delivering X times two or X times something In, of value, value towards yeah. organizational goals. And as the external, as the consultant or as the agile coach, it's your job to, to, mm-hmm. to show how the efforts that you're doing and the time that you're spending is aligned to the outcomes of the organizational goals. And, okay. and but most of them, most, and it's, these are broad strokes, Dave, but many of them get that call to do a roof and it's going to be good money. So they say yes. And they get in knowing they're not really sure exactly what the organization's goal is. And they actually are trying to buy a capital a agile they're really not yeah. trying to focus on an organizational good. And I think those kinds of things contribute to this. We can't talk about agile practices within an organization now because that word is banned. And okay. you know that company has spent hundreds of millions of dollars for a promise of, of what agility can do for them. And, yeah. and they're not seeing it yet. And that's what you keeps me that- up at night.
0: Do you think that we still have a lot of, I'm going to try to stick with the roof thing. I'm not sure it's going to work. Do we still have a lot of roofing companies showing up where the roofers get out of the car and instead of just getting to work on replacing the shingles, want to stand around and talk about, well, why shingles? Maybe we should consider sponges or have you thought about laying dogs on your roof instead? Um, Maybe there's a, maybe, why do we even need a roof? Maybe we just need to live in the open and let, you know, an organic formation occur. Um, do we have a lot of that still?
1: I I think so. I just talked to a software company the other day that produces that produces a software that Agilus can use that actually wants to create a servicing practice of Agile coaches because they believe that there's a lot of money to be made in it. Uh, and like so, a vending machine. Yeah, they they want those. <laughs> uh, they, I put a quarter in <laughs> and I get out of supper. Fritos and a coach. Yeah, yeah, this is what I want. Um, and um yeah i think that this is something that the agile industry hasn't really adopted well and when you like get this i was in nashville at the last agile conference i don't i don't know if you were there or not no but, but it seemed like most of the topics and again i did my typical thing at the agile conferences i looked at the schedule and then i sat in the hallway but i did look mm-hmm. at some topics and i popped my head in a couple of them So I by no means saw all topics, but there was an awful lot of like pseudo psychology and, um, you know, uh, uh, personal coaching kind of approaches and stances that while could be valuable, those -hmm. are not skills that you don't need, but those aren't really necessarily what a organization is hiring you and paying your rate for. They're looking for results. They're looking for results that impact a client or impact a customer. That's what they're hiring them for. Well, I want to challenge
0: this for a second because there's something that I, a process that I learned recently uh, of team formation, like a reforming of a team thing. It's a bunch of exercises you put them through. And I went through it myself. And it was the first thing that I've learned about in like years that I've been like, oh my God, everyone has to know how to do this. And I believe that if you were able to put any team through this process, that they would emerge as a group of people who didn't worry about Waterfall or Agile, but a group of people who were designing the best way they could possibly work with the company's systematic and strategic objectives in their hearts as they did it, raising them to a level beyond what most companies are able to get out of folks. But I can't imagine for the life of me how I would have that conversation and say like, because I don't, I can't show you the connection between these people are going to show up in a way they've never shown up before. And here's how it affects your bottom line or your company strategy or whatever it is. How do you connect those? um, Or do you have to start, do you have to start at the corporate like strategic objective bottom line thing and then work your way back down and hope for the best?
1: Well, every, every engagement from a consultant or from a coach, um, whether you're hired on as an as a internal person or brought in as an external, so those are very similar, there, there's, an, there's ultimately a goal that they want you to help them achieve. And uh, mm-hmm. the first thing really is setting down with a conversation with whoever your champion is, whether, whether mm-hmm. that's the CTO, CEO, whoever this is in the organization, head of the PMO, I have no idea, whoever this is, and really set down like, what are the measurable goals that that you could help them achieve that align with the organizational strategy? So you, Because you don't want to, to be helping the organization row in a direction that is at odds with the direction that the organization is being tasked with going. So mm-hmm. you, you're there to be a helpmate to help them do that and help adopt agile practices in order to do that you've got to collect all the data before Now, most of them. You've got to understand that constraint and set that goal to know, to know when you're done. Like when Mm -hmm. I achieve this goal, when I help you achieve this goal, whether that's improved quality or faster time to market or whatever this is, that's a time that the engagement could be over. And because we've achieved those goals, right? It's an outcome. It's Mm -hmm. not just output. It's an outcome. You have to collect the data of all of those things before you start. Like before you start monkeying with the system and in your discovery process, you need to figure out what 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 is the predictability now of the teams? What are the defect rates? What are what is customer satisfaction on all these things? What is your cycle time? What are all of the things that the that the customer, the organization, your stakeholder is most interested in? You're gonna to have to capture those metrics before you start. And then you have to start building mm-hmm. experiments around what what are the things that you're doing are impacting those right okay coaches can also consistently and you have to measure all the time right you have to start that data collection before and then continuously and show trajectories on it like i would love for coaches that are working in an organization that i would have had just to start showing the things that they're working on and what they believe, their hypothesis statement. If we do this, then we believe this will come out the other side. We believe orga- the predictability mm-hmm. will change. This is what like our plan is. Mapping, yeah. We're going to help them do that. And Hey, it didn't work. It's okay. We're going to try this other way to see if we can move predictability. Cause okay. It's, see what I'm saying? It's not a, yeah. this isn't a gumball machine. These are human beings that <laughs> may not work together. So You have to try different things, but at least I would know what they're trying and what they're trying to achieve. And then you can constantly be doing, you know, analyzing the cost savings that the organization could attribute to the work that you've done or the increased value and value delivery that they're able to achieve because of the work that you've done. And if you're, if you're keeping as a consultant, if you're keeping that lens, that dashboard, if you will, in front of your key stakeholder all the time over the work that you're doing and how it aligns to those organizational goals, it's going to be really hard to say, we don't know what you're doing and we're paying you too much. And it's, and it's heading the expense category too much. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're not good at that.
0: Okay. So there was something you said that kind of like struck me there and I'm, and I'm thinking about it as you're talking. If, If we were to design it like a a better engagement, maybe there's a way that before the coaches show up, there's something done to start capturing metrics, throughput, cycle time, whatever it is, satisfaction, anything. The coaches come in, work with the stakeholders to define a list of, you said experiments. Right. Right. So just so I can continue to drop more names of people we used to work with, maybe they get um, David Bland's assumptions mapping process in there or some kind of experiment tool to create a backlog of hypotheses that they're going to test. And then the difference between that and when I started doing coaching, which was just send three guys in and have them spin up some teams and make everything better. This is a lot more tactical. We've defined problems we want to solve from a business perspective. We have assumptions we've made. We're going to define success criteria. And then the coaches are doing what you're saying, where they're able to speak back to how they met the company's strategic goals or tests or whatever. Sure. Um, and it's not just hand wavy success. It is this changed the throughput or this changed the ROI or, or just technical debt or whatever.
1: Well, and, and the beauty too of right? this is you, you know that even with the beginning that that you when you understand what those cycle times are and what those metrics are in the beginning and what the stakeholder believes is the most important thing that for us for the company to focus on or the organization to focus focus on once you're in there for a little bit that can change right the discovery right. part of you of coaching you discover something else and then that that buy in or that change in the scope of what you're going to do becomes much easier because now you're not just there to do you're not this dare to do everything and hand wavy mm-hmm. and make everything better. Like I was brought in to bring this one thing and this is my task. I'm bringing this one thing and trying to help these four metrics because these are the, this is what's key. But if you discover that there is something else happening, it, it becomes something to push from because yeah. you can't push from do everything in hand wave.
0: Okay. So do you think then that each team, this, this is the question that's been stuck in my head for years and I keep coming back to it Two parallel questions. Does each team then need its own Troy McGinnis? Do they need to have like, you've got technical coaches, you know, whatever kinds of whatever, but every team shows up with a data guy. In the same way that you have data scientists in the company, shouldn't there be somebody on the team whose job is to interface with whatever metrics are being tracked in the company, figure out what new things to track, how we're going to track them, how we're going to report on it, and that is their whole job?
1: Wouldn't that make this work better? It it could, um, and it also could make it far more complicated. You know, Or easier to game, I guess, if you were really it could, Well, it. I mean um, – People that full time job is to to look at metrics are just going to be looking at metrics and it's going to get super noisy too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of the big questions that every client that I ever went to um, is when is asking them how do they measure success currently, and usually they don't know. Yeah. They they don't know how. So you're right. helping them define what that is because they're like, how did you measure success in waterfall? How did you measure success before? Um, and so it, it's an, it becomes a good conversation there by ignoring quality uh, by, <laughs> yes, um, by making promises and then, <laughs> then not delivering on those things, but it made us feel good. The, yeah. <laughs> but it should be one of the things, maybe it's part of a definition of done for teams that they have to be able to track at the end of the thing for cycle times or for something. It can be a baked into the team's dynamics. I don't know that it has to be one particular person in every team, although okay. maybe there are such complicated situations that it requires that. I'm trying to think of the operational load to have a human being on every single team out there to be able to do that. That's a really high bar. Sure. Um, but, but hold on. It is a
0: high bar, but it, without it, look at what we have now. Look at how I mean. How many companies drag this stuff? Spend all this money. They don't know what they get for it. Maybe they spend the same amount of money, but they figure out faster. This isn't going to work for us.
1: So the number one thing that you should we should be measuring really is working working product. Right. The number okay. of that, as quickly as we can get a increment or an iteration, increment and an iteration of a working product to a customer every single sprint, right? That's the most important thing. There are lots of other metrics that uh, can be helpful in, in capturing, but there's a lot of them that can be super gained, gamed. Mm -hmm. And you know, the ones, the organizations that are, um, that you just described, if they had full-time metrics people capturing metrics, they're going to want even more metrics on more metrics things. And let's get more slideshows on about the metrics. And then they're going to chase that rabbit and, and they're going to miss the point that the agile movement has a promise. It's it's a promise of a I, movement. I, yeah.
0: I get what you're saying. I'm just thinking that if I have if I have coaches on my team that are like transformative, agile thought leader coaches, people that can really help others rise up to the demands of this new way of working and engage with their work in a level, on a deeply personal level that they've never even encountered before. Part of what I'm thinking is that that metrics person being in place would create space for them to do that, that they might not
1: otherwise have. Ah, so this is wonderful. So live on this real humans talking. I misheard what you said. When you said on every team, I was thinking every agile team, not a team of coaches. So actually having a metrics person focus on all the measurements and tracking on the transformation team on a coaching team would make a lot of sense to me.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I I did. That was unintentional, but sure. That would work for me too. I just feel like there should be more choice. We should make more Troy McGinnises and ship them off to every or maybe Dan Bacanti's and ship them off to every single <laughs> organization that, that is trying to do this stuff.
1: That, well, uh, Troy really should, and I'm a huge McGinnis fan. Um, Troy really should help, help write the book and the, and the playbook for agile transformation coaches um, to be able to be successful. Cause I, I think that this is one of the key pieces of why agile transformations have stalled and stopped and Mm -hmm. people are now starting to discover are are talking about again, maybe agile is dead. Maybe no one's going to take a scrum class again. Maybe no. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't think it's that finite, but I do think it's our responsibility as stewards of an agile movement. Um, we're, We're not the creators of it, but we're the stewards of this different way of working that we all fully believe can not only deliver more value to customers faster, but also can bring more humanity in the workplace for the people doing the work. Like it's, it, it's a both end. And, and yeah. so it's up to us to, as stewards of that movement, as the faces of it in the world, those coaches that are at XYZ company are the faces of an agile movement. And it's up to, up to them to be good stewards and actually start yeah. showing and tracking those metrics of what what's happening towards those organizational goals.
0: You know, it's weird. I keep thinking that it's almost like we need to Frederick Taylor, the coaches. Um, (laughs) So they, they're capturing metrics. Um, So I want to switch the question a little bit. Okay. If, and I'm not saying it is, but if agile is dead or dying, And I would say that I don't feel like it's dead, but I feel like there's a fatigue that has set in and there's people that are switching back to waterfall-esque practices because they're just tired of doing, you know, hit workouts every day. Um, What is the new problem we have to solve? If there is this change, I mean, the problems have, I would, I feel like they've evolved, but I can't see clearly what the new problem is. And business agility doesn't seem like a specific answer to me.
1: I th- I think you know, I'm with you on business agility. I'm a huge proponent, and uh, but it's like the next order of of directional for an agile movement. And there is a mm-hmm. maze. There is a a tiredness to it. Um, I, I I was talking to one of the one of the largest gaming companies uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the world. Um, they no longer hire scrum masters for their scrum teams. Okay. So where does that come
0: from and why, and what the hell are they doing instead? That question is driving me nuts. Who Um, does the work of the scrum master? Nobody.
1: They're, they're hiring project managers now for that role. Okay. Um, And, and uh, when, when asked the, the main reason for them is, and, and again, these are big broad strokes, Dave, you know, we're, and these are risky things to talk about. Right. Is that right. Um, If you take somebody that simply has, um, has been to a scrum class, which I know I've been to yours and it's a fantastic class. It's a wonderful class. Mm -hmm. If you're listening, you should go to Dave's class. But if that's their only background, right? If that's the only background into the world of business, which happens to be quite a lot of them, like they come in and they've taken just that.
0: Well, they go straight to coaching.
1: And then they go, (laughs) Yeah, they go straight to scrum mastering and coaching transformations, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, And they're not equipped for that. Um, They don't understand uh, stakeholder engagement. They're spending all their time doing nothing but uh, sheepdogging the team and protecting the team while helping the organization completely miss every organizational goal. Right. And so they've started, I mean, a lot of times scrum masters come out and they have an idealized view of what the future state of the potential world of work could be. Right. And I I have that view too. I want it to be that. And then they get stuck into a, you know, a 600,000 person company where there's 112 layers of reporting and they don't know how to function well within that because it's not what they were taught in the class. Right. So they can look to their PMP brothers, to the project managers, and and they understand stakeholder engagement. They understand and, and they, they they have that business acumen aspect to them most of them because they have to have multiple years in that in that business to even get that PMP, and many of them now are working in more um, more complex work environments that include agility in the way that they're working. So okay. project managers in a lot of ways um, maybe 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 one of the answers towards bringing, bringing like um, business acumen to agility to help. Yeah. Because th- you're not going to see many traditional PMPs or even some of the more modern PMPs um, hand-wavy and lots of Post-it notes and no. trying to, like that's not no. what they're likely going to be. Too busy do waving them. our Gantt charts around. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do they still make those? I don't even know if they make those anymore.
0: I don't know. I'm sure they do. So – this is really funny. I, I was cracking up because you were saying the thing about the Scrum Masters having this idealized version. I was thinking, I am so much more dystopian about this. Because I, what you described is where I've been for a really long time. Is It's this weird cyborg version of project management and Scrum Master and Agile and Lean and all these other things and social engineering that you yep. you have to have all that stuff to be able to be good at this job and survive at this job. And so maybe I'm wondering then are we actually at the beginning of having such a thing as a legitimate agile project manager? Can you do, can, is that possible? Or oh. or or is the business world creating a space that is waiting to be filled by that thing if we can figure out how to Frankenstein it together.
1: So I, I don't know that it's about Frankensteining, by the way. I think okay. that uh, if you look at a lot of searches and a lot of the ways that um, like recruiters and stuff are looking for roles, they're looking for somebody with a scrum master or a PMP, um, yeah. they're they're interchanging project manager and, and projects are, run in either a predictive way or in an, uh, maybe an agile way of working, but there's still a project. Yeah. So, um, cause we're 20 years in here. And, yeah. uh, so I think that most uh, many businesses are starting to look for people that have a, um, more of a business acumen background, more, more predictable, more other things that can understand, Let's put it this way. Very few organizations are 100% a scrum team, top to bottom, side to side. Like there's sure. I can, there's, there's not many. So most organizations are complex. They're running um, uh, very predictive here and very agile here. And then they have this, but then the blending is weird. And maybe parts of it are safe. Maybe not. We're not sure. And they can't try less, but they're trying that over here maybe. And there's a Spotify model, which isn't a model, but anyway. <laughs> It's a floor they, wax and a dessert topping. I mean, do, so do, does an organization, does a company go out and hire people with only those expertises, or, or do, do they find somebody enough. that has breadth and depth that probably could survive and thrive within any of those type of systems, right? Yeah. Um, now, I'm not talking about your grandmother's PMP that got it you know, way back in the day, but the more modern PMs that are coming through, I've yeah. been really pretty impressed with them, to be honest. Um, about the okay. way that they're seeing and perceiving, embracing various ways of work and understanding where it's applicable and where it's not. Now, are they the most dynamic agilists? Probably not. Are the most dynamic agilists the ones that actually can get the ball over the goal line? Maybe not. So I, I don't know that it's a Frankenstein kind of a situation. I think it's a maturity of the agile movement, uh, yeah. really. And it's driven by business okay. needs.
0: I guess, yeah, there's um, probably a handful of people I know that I feel like are capable of walk. I always used to describe it as like Blade, like the vampires that can walk in the sun. The people that can switch back and forth between Waterfall and Agile and move through those two spaces with ease. I don't know. I mean, I don't know a lot of people that can do that. But maybe that's because the upbringing was so you're this camp or you're this camp. You know, maybe now like that the PMBOK has Agile in it, it'll be an easier thing, an easier fit.
1: I I would think so. I mean, the vast majority of the world out there, world of work is complex in the way, I mean, we either know our customer, but we're not sure the product, the solution we know, or, or vice versa. So very rarely are things in you know, Snowden's simple domain, like it's a known, known problem, known solution. Um, you know, maybe, maybe somebody building a bridge, maybe it's a, it's a huge plan up front because I really, I'm sorry, but I really don't want seven random people in a scrum team building a bridge I'm going to drive over. I would actually like, <laughs> I, I would like something, but that doesn't mean that agile But if they'll build it really happen. fast. And if it collapses, you'll just build a new one. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we tried it, it, it collapsed, but we learned something. It's iterative. Like, the risk is pretty high on that. And I, you know, but, uh, there are, there are tenets of agility. There are, there are principles of, of the way we lead and the way we work together in a more human centric way that I yeah. think can apply whether you decide that the risks, risks are so high and stuff that we need to do much more planning up front um, uh, this product is a known product of the known solution. So we don't need to it- iteratively and incrementally try to release this. Mm-hmm. I-, I think we're at that spot that um, maybe project and product managers that understand both of those worlds and can see when to yeah. apply them and when to apply them will figure that out. And the vast majority of the world, most traditional ways of working just aren't really as pl- applicable as they used to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I saw a public study that something like, I'll make up a number, but it was a vast majority. Let's say 70% just made that number up. Do not quote me. Uh, Howard just
0: turned into Ron Jeffries, in case you weren't noticing.
1: (laughs) Get off my lawn. No, that's Ron Jeffries. Um, Like the vast majority, 75% or something like that of uh, PMPs are now working in agile organizations and working... With helping, well, you have to do agile with
0: quotes. There, organizations that say they're agile.
1: Well, I again, many organizations say that they're agile. And one of my favorite ones was going into a client, and they showed me their their best product with their Windows team, and it was the most agile that they had. It was nine months, and this team still hasn't delivered a single line of code to anybody. It's nine (laughs) months, Um, but this was their most agile team. So. I mean, Dun and Kruger is pretty real in what you believe is agility and what's not. So, I get their perception of working in an agile way. They've got that whole like daily Scrum thing, so they're agile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all the we planes really Planes will need. come back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we know it's more than that. But, yeah. Um, but then, then I bump into people. I was uh, on a um, in a group not long ago, and several people in the group were like, I I don't y'all are talking about the way that work used to be. And they're, you know, they're in their 30, you know, they're 32 and they're like, work has always been this way for me. We've only ever worked in yeah. teams. We've only. So, um, like all think, the people
0: coming up now that don't know what waterfall is. I mean, that's, that's what that's I'm saying. Thing.
1: They have no perspective. And I think that's one of the things that, um, many of like you as trainers and people that, you know, I love mm-hmm. and I care deeply for, um, they see the the world that they have to educate as a static pond. Some see it as a little bitty pond. Some see it as a lake. Some see it as an ocean, right? But it's static. It doesn't move. They see it as a. This is the body of people in the world of work, but it's right. really a river. There's always new yeah. people coming in, and there's and always the river keeps changing on. too, and yeah. and the river gets wide and then it gets narrow and it's wide. It is. It is a dynamic base of learners that are always trying to learn different and better ways of work. There's always new that are coming into the world of work that have no idea what we're talking about from before and, and people that are at the apex of their career that are moving on to something else. So um, it's, I think the opportunities are there. I don't think agility is dead. I'm concerned about it. I don't think it's dead. I can't imagine us going back to saying, you know, I think it's going to be best if we, uh, just wait and get this. We, we, we only start letting the customer see this piece of software two years from now. Like, that's probably the best thing. Like I don't see us moving. It could be good. We'll start
0: cooking with lard again too. It'll be good.
1: (laughs) I just, thank you. I appreciate you
0: being open to this conversation. I I want to ask you one more question before we, before we sign off. Totally unrelated. Um, What's the last thing that inspired you? Ooh. Because I figure you're, you're – I mean, I know that you are somebody that is going to have an answer to this question given a couple seconds. But, like, what really sparked for you? Doesn't have to be work. Just just something that really kind of lit you up.
1: Oh, man. Um. There's – I mean – there's so many things. Oh my gosh, Dave. Um, um, I'll circle back. You know, I, I, I told you, I've, I've been volunteering with Habitat for Humanity, right? I, right? I do this four days a week and I go in and help build houses and I had I wrote a blog a while back about it, but it reminds me of this is we have um, they have an annual what they call their women's build. so not that women don't normally build, but it's an unusual thing for it to be only women, right? So right. there's a group of us that are there that are just supposed to help hold the hold the things and show how to use the power t- saws and stuff in case they haven't had and explain things to the women. No, that's not what I mean. We're not going to mansplain, but we're there to make sure that they have the tools to do their job and what kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot of bent nails. The, the, the floor in that place is littered with bent nails. And, and watching the attitude of the, of the job foreman, because we have a general contractor as a foreman, and he just keeps handing them another nail saying, we'll hit this one. Try again try again, keep trying, try this one. Yeah. Uh, You probably hit a knot, try this one. Like, like for something, somebody that drives nails all the time, they would have hit it in two hits. Now we're 35 hits and we've bent eight nails. Like, and they're like, it's okay. Keep trying. Keep It's okay. And, and they're writing on the, on the wood, writing messages to this future homeowner, Mm -hmm. like they're vested in this and they're, blood, sweat and tears and, and banging their fingers and they keep bending nails, but yet they show up, they show up every single time to go do this. And, and that's what I love. And, and the guy, one of the guys that I'm working with, I think just had his 87th birthday. Wow. And so they're building every day. And, um, uh, uh, so it's, it's hard to keep up with those kind of folks that can run circles around me. Um, and they know what they're doing and they know what they're doing too. So.
0: That's really great. I'm glad that you found people to be around that are lighting you up that way.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we they gave up with COVID. They're like, yeah, we're still going to go build. Eh, you know.
0: <laughs> well, what if the people listening want to get in touch with you and ask you questions about the dystopian future of Agile project management?
1: <laughs> the Last of Us Agile Edition. Um, yes, yeah, this exactly. Is exciting stuff. Yeah, people really, really, it's really. to be want- like the Walking Dead. <laughs> Yes. Uh, clearly, I have nothing to sell. Um, <laughs> I just have a heart for this movement. Um, it's You can find me in most everything, Howard Sublet, uh, all my LinkedIn and everything like that, and howardsublet.gmail.com. So easy enough cool. to find.
0: This was really fun. I am, I am grateful to you for doing this. It was so much fun to talk to you about this stuff.
1: Man, I, any chance I have to, to visit with you, I'm in. Pick a topic, throw it against the wall, and let's see what happens. Well, I, I, I was having a
0: pretty crap day, and you turned it around for me, so thank you. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> see
1: you tomorrow then, Dave.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this was great, man. Thank you.
1: Anytime. If you learn to work the old way, but the new ways is what you need. My jobs to make that switch from old to new. Suck less for you than
0: it did for me. Here on Drunk and Fear Radio. Whoa.